in the last uh, few weeks uh, we've been having a uh, Buddha image being created in this monastery by Ajahn Monti who is a sculptor who came over from Thailand to do this he did this as an act of dana, act of generosity and he's been carving this Buddha image diligently um, in a very, uh, very pleasant way enjoying it and it's uh, very easy to work with so there's been very lovely occasion by the fact that Buddha is being made offered freely and done in a pleasant and enjoyable <coughs> way friendly way so that many people have been able to help with that um, yesterday I think there were nine people sanding this Buddha image so quite something to get, try to get nine people around the Buddha image which is about the size of this one yeah, it's not that big uh, nine people are just standing and actually scrubbing away on it uh, and not colliding with each other and enjoying, enjoying doing that together <laughs> so getting nine people to do anything together in an enjoyable way is, is a pretty good thing to be ha- happening so I think this is a the power of the Buddha <laughs> and the power of the occasion he is doing it from a place of freedom and willingness and cooperativeness and nobody sitting in theirs and just cooperating it's a very lovely quality of good karma just in that doing something um, which has lasting significance and also doing it in a way that one is able to feel not intense or fearful or worried or just happy so there's an immediate result one feels happy and a long term result doing something that you feel will be of benefit to others the way that good karma works it's got immediate fruition and long term fruition long term fruition that other people can can also benefit from So in a few days we hope to be able to install the Buddha image in, in the Dhamma Hall. <coughs> um, and as an image I find it very very lovely. I think many people commented on that. It's a very happy Buddha. It makes you feel happy just to look at it. Uh, very relaxed, happy and quite pure. Quite a few softness. Nothing harsh. Nothing intimidating. Nothing intense about it, just a very soft, inviting quality. When you look at that, you feel it reminds you, it brings up this sense of feeling welcome, feeling okay, feeling relaxed. So it's a very good reminder for meditation. Sometimes in meditation people get quite grim, intense and um, overfraught with all kinds of worries and concerns and needs and possibilities and demands going on in the mind and just not really having the basis of feeling very welcomed and blessed we use these words just trying to give some words to something that's not really an eye, not really a thought but like a mood 
you're sitting somewhere where you know you're very welcome and you feel you're trusted and you feel there's a bit benevolence around you you're not having to defend yourself or prove something or come up with the goods you can just kind of let yourself open up and this is really you know, is, is what I find the image in a way brings up in the mind and it's another reflection on what good karma is about good karma in, in the scriptures is generally called bright karma as opposed to dark karma so we don't use the words good and bad but bright and dark which actually English words I'm seeing um, so bright literally means you feel bright you feel none of this kind of uh, and it, like it's kind of an idea that was good not good it's actually the, a feeling sense the felt sense of bright you know, uplifted um, dark means shut down is it contracted dark closed shut down bright which is the sense of opening you know, soft and joyful means closed to it so when we come to to meditate you know, what would you like to sit in? <laughs> we'd like to see, I don't know if you'd like to sit in something bright, you know, where you feel, you know, when just sitting in meditation doesn't mean you know, we have to deal with the discomforts of the body and some of the pains of the heart. So it'd be nice to actually have a, a good place to sit, wouldn't it? So you've got something that's on your side, um, you know, rather than having internal difficulties and also feeling, you know, tense and anxious and nervous and so forth so you know, externally we could say a Buddha image or a Dhamma hall or a monastery or friends can do that internally what does that is just one's good karma one's bright karma in fact it is bright karma just to have good friends and a monastery and a Buddha image very bright the fact that there is was a Buddha a historical Buddha whose presence is still glowing through the ages and that we can hear that and resonate with that this is our good bright karma this is a bright result for us something we should not take lightly or squander and the physical image reminds us of the example of the Buddha what it's supposed to be The image of the Buddha is gives us a reminder of what brightness is about, the, the beauty of that. Mm. It's just recognizing that you know, referring to a heart tone, felt tone, rather than a judgment, good, bad, right, wrong, but bright, buoyant, radiant. Mm. So this is something to check in with in yourself. That the quality of the actions that we do and the quality of the context that we create around ourselves the generators around ourselves is it bright the quality of what we say what we think do we give bright results or dark results mm. recognising that um, Dependent on what we say and do, that that's what creates the particular situation we end up living in. 
to really get the um, learn to know, not not to think or have somebody tell you, but to really feel it. Qualities would come. You have to enter into the heart or actually the chitta, the feeling, affective sense of mind. So, which is a source and a repository of karma. There are three sources, three main sources and repositories of karma, of action, of things that we do, body, physically we do things. Um, Then the second is uh, through the heart, we we aspire, we imagine, um, this is bright, we love, we share, this is bright, and the dark, we can feel negative, malicious, um, and so forth. Dark karma, it's generated there in the heart, isn't it? And then the body acts upon that, or the speech acts upon that. The speech faculty is the third form of karma. The speech faculty also refers to the thinking mind. So in a way, mind straddles both the mood, the affective sense, and also the conceiving, conceptual activity. Mm. So, it means both in the English language. But actually, in the Pali language, you have chitta, which is to do with the affective, emotive, feeling sense, and mano, which is to do with the conceiving or organizing, which produces concepts. And Mano deals with the create articulation of thoughts, um, defining things with thoughts, then you could do speech through that. And the way to look at it is, is Mano produces a particular object. You're able to say, this is a dog, this is a bell, this is tomorrow, this is yesterday, this is... And then we can be extremely gifted even defining particular qualities of mind states, um, be able to imagine things and create concepts around quarks and mesons and the other side of the universe and what happened before the universe began and the nature of God. You know, to really, you know, really can actually say they know, but we can conceive of these things. So you get very fine calibrations of that activity. Um, this is the act of mano. And chitta is the quality of that which moves. We're, we're uplifted, we're excited, we're depressed, we're joyful, we're, we're hurt. It's the affective sense. And it's really in the affective sense is where you can actually fully feel and know in this um, full way the qualities, the effects, good and bad, because actually everything proceeds from there, volition proceeds from there. So when we feel hurt, it's likely that what comes out of that sense of being hurt is something unsteady, cloudy, not right, Mm. or the the reaction. So it's very much affected by feeling, physical feeling. And mental feeling. Mental feeling is to do with perception. Uh, 
you know, somebody says something and oh, that sounded really hostile to me. That's a perception, it's a, it's an interpretation of those words. So these mental things go very deep. You know, somebody was reading out the names of all the monks and they left my name out. Well, that oh, turned me down. He didn't think I could feel completely ignored. You know, that's a perception, isn't it? Feel really quite hurt. Nobody's actually bashed me on the head or insulted me, even, but my name's been left off, and this I feel really quite hurt by that. I've been all these years. You know? So, you know, that that's for that that's a um, a mental object. So a very powerful feeling we can have with that. Or so than if somebody accidentally drops something on you. Oh, I'm sorry, that's an accident. Oh, okay, that's all right. So around the mental perceptions, we infer all kinds of things like purpose. We did that on purpose, or deliberation, you know, or whatever. You know. So this 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 produces a tremendous amount of, of feeling for us. Also, it's recognized that, that mental perception itself is, is already based upon past karma, you know, on things that have happened. So, this is the 14th <coughs> time this year they've left my name off of it. <laughs> <laughs> they did it once, I think it was just a mistake, but 14 times a year, you know, which is really, I'm, I'm out of here, this is really terrible. You know. So, if, but we could say that. In other words, that one action is made more through all the previous actions that have occurred. So this is called inherited, is inherited karma. Or, you know, they've been doing this all my life. People have been losing, missing my name. You know. Since I was five years old, they've been leaving me off the list of everything. So, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of inherited karma there. And these are small, so dependent upon what we have inherited, that's what's called vipaka, that acts as a, a, a foundation for fresh karma. It intensifies it. Fresh karma. If somebody turns up late for a meeting, oh, okay. Every day he turns up late for a meeting. Feels really this is, you know, quite a different effect, isn't it? Actually the person turning up late is just this moment. But then you get that sense of inheritance from it and maybe it's also it could be the case that some people turning up late doesn't mean anything so what, well, doesn't really matter but when you live in a, in, a, in a community turning up late means a lot because it means 25 people have to sit and wait you know, so you don't you get quite irritated by it, by the increase in the way it feels, perceptually feels disrespectful you get quite irritated by that. It means a lot, essentially. So, based upon the perception, the mental perception comes the feeling, the mentally based feelings, the emotional feeling, and that produces this emotional reaction. And then the volition comes from that, isn't it? What we decide to do about it. We come out feeling angry or irritable or uh, hurt, wounded, and then oof, we might be able to check that not saying anything, but if we check it not saying it still lingers in the heart as a kind of resentful feeling or a 
fed up feeling or depressed feeling. So you get those kinds of mental karma. And it can just coat and stain the whole of one's heart so one feels uh, one's heart doesn't feel bright anymore. So when we cultivate um, you know, good karma, part of it is also to clean away old stuff. You know, Recognise that we can't, um, once we have done something, there must be a result. But if the, from a result we don't create a fresh start, a, fresh, a new thing dependent upon that, and that is, I learn how to forgive or let go or correct or change my habits. I don't have to keep on, you know, doing that, either missing people's names or turning up late or or anything like you know, I can actually stop and put a bit of effort and intelligence into that and say what's happening here, be clear, be a bit clearer and then, you know so I don't have to keep going on the, the cycle of old karma and you know, vipassa karma and then fresh karma based upon it. It does mean one has to, in a way, be able to keep checking and looking carefully. Is the mind bright? Is the mind clear? Is the mind present? Is the citta present? Is it clear? Is it mindful? So we might say that the supreme karma is to be mindful. Because if you get that right, you know, if you establish that, if you set that up, then it means that one's moods are going to be clearer and brighter, one's actions, one's speech can be clearer and brighter, and it means that the whole tonality of the heart is going to be clearer and brighter. And if we uh, and then if we do this for ourselves, it means that what we put out is going to be clearer and brighter. That means other people can have an easier time. So there's an element of compassion in that for others. And so mindfulness is the factor that that brings us into the present, (coughs) keeps us clear. (coughs) Mindfulness is is linked to the mano faculty, that is, is is a boundary definer, it's an object definer, says that's that. Uh, Tonally, it's just quite neutral. It's not, it's not, um, you know, happy or anything. It's just neutral. Just that's that. Uh, but it, it, well, it's a conceiving that doesn't necessarily have thought with it. The ability to just form a boundary around something, say that's that, that's a feeling, that's a mood, that's happening there, and that's mindfulness. So you see how these two aspects of mind can work with each other as the subjective sense, this is what's happening to me, which is the mood, the feeling sense, the affective sense, chitta, and the mano, which helps to pinpoint and define and say that's that. And it really they help, don't they? Because on the feeling sense, there are no boundaries. You just feel Oof, it's everywhere. And if that feeling sense just, you know, doesn't have a boundary around it, it starts to proliferate. I am hurt. I always am hurt. I always will be hurt. People don't like me. It's terrible. It just goes on and on and on. Um, and it can escalate. Yeah. Or I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling great. 
and therefore we get careless, don't we? We get over um, ebullient. We can be charging around feeling, well, I'm on top of the world and everything's great, and uh, being quite insensitive to maybe how that how our behaviour affects others. So even when our intentions are, are good, you know, to not be mindful is means that even the good intention, the good volition, doesn't have this essential quality of reflection and placing it and measuring it that within what's happening right now. You know, how does this affect others? Mindfulness is based really on on right view. So when we so my, my right view is that there's a good result to good deeds, and there are uh, there is a sense of uh, recognizing parents, recognizing um, enlightened beings. Some sense of of recognizing the the laws of karma, what we're connected to, and uh, what good we do. So it's not just that it's there's a good feeling there, but saying this good feeling is also one that leads to a good result. That's the right view. There are different kinds of pleasant feeling one can have. But the the quality of uh, mindfulness is to know this is a feeling, but there's accompanying, and it's able to recognize the mind state that accompanies that. So this is some clarity there, some steadying steadying effect. So we don't just go into the, the feeling itself. We we go into the feeling area, which is the chitta area, the mental feeling area, and we're able to be clear and uh, conscious of that, and know um, so it does. It's not something we, we're careless about. If it's a negative feeling. Okay, this is a negative feeling. It feels like this. It arises with that thought or that perception or that memory, and it subsides when I practice. Uh, metta or forgiveness or something like that. Yeah. Or it subsides just when I when I just sit with it uh, and let it let it subside by itself. This is a happy, this is a good feeling, a happy feeling. Mm. It's based upon this perception and thought, and it arises like this, and it subsides like that when, when one removes that thought or perception. And so this is the function of mindfulness, just to to have that sense of of wisdom and clarity about it. The other aspect that we act as the ground of our meditation is called sampajanya, which means a something like full comprehension. And this is more like a, a jitta effect, just as the uh, mindfulness is a mano thing, so we direct your ability to form a boundary, to be clear. Um, sampajanya is the ability to, to subtly sense a very subtle form of jitter effect. It's not really to do with the feeling tone so much as just the receptivity. It's the ability to feel. We might say there's pleasure and displeasure which are feelings. It's also the ability to feel, our sensitivity. And this is the quality of um, Sampajanya provides this. We really sense that. We get the whole of it. This is essential because we're able to 
with the two of those, the mindfulness can point to something, articulate it, cause you to rest upon that. So you don't just scurry past, you actually rest upon that, and then somebody is, is like really sensitizing to the whole of that. You be with that, you feel for it. So it's got this, this way in which one re- is able to learn because you drink in the qualities. What's the meaning of this? What's the what's the whole of this? This is sampajanya. So, you know, in our in our daily life, it's important to both to 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 do good or to do what's bright, but to know it's bright, which means you have to spend some time or some ability to focus on that, put your attention on it, and get get the whole sense of that, feel it out. This is the ground for meditation, mindfulness and full, full comprehension. Then the ongoing cultivation of the path, then good karma, bright karma, is significant. In that we can say the Buddha teaches karma, and the dissolution of karma, the dissolution of the need to keep, you know, this kind of ongoing volitional tendencies. Uh, but we also have to recognise that 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 possibility of the dissolution of ongoing tendencies of further action or further becoming and so forth it only comes around through good karma through bright karma through the bright karma of mindfulness through the bright karma of, of full comprehension and you also recognise that it's it's pretty difficult to have full comprehension of something that's unskillful if you try to get your mind to spread over and sensitise to a, a negative act you've just done Doing it, oh no, doesn't do it very easy. It's difficult to even be mindful of it because you touch on it. And, oh well, it's just one of those things, and <laughs> somewhere else, <laughs> you know. So there's a lot of, of 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 dark karma. It's it's not so easy to have mindfulness and full comprehension because you, it just feels so unpleasant. You know, the mind begins to writhe and wriggle and run away. It's the the feeling is so um, unpleasant. The mindset is so unpleasant. So we could say that, in a way, mindfulness and full comprehension doesn't depends upon good karma. And it tends to exhaust, first of all, the bad karma, because once one has that, one once established that upon the, the good, the bright karma that we have, we know what it feels like to have brightness. And this is really enjoyable, pleasant. It calms me. I feel satisfied. I don't feel... You know, aggressive or pushy or restless or agitated or needy or fed up or grudges. I just feel this is fine. This is a good place to be. So there's not really the impulse to 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 move into negative deeds. There's a sense of recoiling from that. 
you say, ooh, it tastes bad, I want that. Even to have to hold an unpleasant, a negative thought about someone is, is, is unpleasant. So, you know, it, but it begins to, to, to eradicate the dark karma bites just because our system does not want pain. And, and, and dark karma is painful. So we're left with a sense of, of cultivating bright karma, not from some moral thou shalt point of view, but it's because this is what feels enjoyable and the way I can actually live with myself, settle with myself, feel I have dignity, feel I have worth, feel I have value. So you might say that you know, mindfulness and full comprehension perfects bright karma and eradicates dark karma not through any disapproving or negative sense or criticizing ourselves or forming judgments about ourselves but just from the simple sense of not wanting to be with something that feels bad which we already have you don't have to you, know, you don't have to form judgments about yourself so you know the process of dis- dissolution of karma is done through mindfulness and full comprehension, not through the thinking mind taking a stand and, and slagging me off all day long. Picking up everything I've done and complaining about it. Because that is dark karma, isn't it? <laughs> you know, there's violence there, there's negativity there, there's harshness there. You know, it may have some, you know, truth, whatever that is, to it. We can always find facts to back it up. But you realise these, these facts are just conceptual things. Like, like on Thursday the 19th you did this. That's just, that's just an idea. Um, so, yeah, okay. But, you know, when you, you just judge yourself from your thinking mind then the thinking mind is not is a flat thing it deals with conceptual stuff which in a way is supposed to be flat you know, and, and in boundaries it's not a feeling thing so in that you don't get the full sense of what was happening on Thursday the 19th and where my, where mine was at you know so and what was going on and how bad really was it so but you can come to that sense of or in the heart is a quality of disappointment, regret. Um, disappointment, regret, agitation there. This is the residue. This is the vipaka. It's a dark residue. Yeah. Okay, there's a dark residue. Now that may mean, that could mean anything. Really, it could mean the action was bad, or it could mean that you just have such a negative perception about yourself that every action you do you think is bad. So that happens, you know, that you actually didn't do a bad thing, but your your way of conceiving of your, your perception of yourself is automatically tinted with this darkness. So one takes a, a bad view of oneself. So it could be that the action was wrong. It could be bad physical action. It could be bad verbal action. It could be bad mental action happening right now. You know, the critical negative mind acting right now. You don't really have to know what it is. You just know... But in order, in order, it's, it's all you need to know is this is dark, with Parker, This is dark residue. 
It could be because I'm being harsh or judgmental or it doesn't really matter right now. Yeah. Right now, because you only be able to say you can fully be clear about that when you're coming from a bright space. So the main thing is just to pull it out, clean it out. Mm. And this is what we do, this is a meditative process, isn't it? Meditative process means we take refuge, we establish our ground in what's good, what's bright, in Buddha, in the quality of um, someone who can attune to that, someone in a way is of the family of the Buddha, someone who can attune to those qualities and feel them as worthy, Buddha qualities, peacefulness, gentleness, loving kindness, clarity. So can we come from that place and establish that ground? Can you begin to really get a sense of that? Not just an idea, but really a sense of being on the on the on the beautiful ground of the Dharma. So, you know, in meditation, we shouldn't be in too much of a hurry to just get into regurgitating all our old stuff. But first of all, primarily to, to establish the good ground. It can be that through Buddha Nusati, for example, recollection of the Buddha, or devotion, recollecting good deeds. So that loving kindness, so you establish the good ground until you can, from that place, then there's a possibility for the mindfulness and full comprehension to, to expand. You know, so primary meditation get to the good place so that your mindfulness and full comprehension can unfold you start off from a dark place mindfulness and full comprehension doesn't unfold it tends to contract because it's so unpleasant so sometimes you know if we meditate from the idea of just be mindful and you start off coming in you know, feeling dark just be mindful of being feeling dark and fed up you know, this is really being authentic and dealing with real issues now but you're not actually dealing with it because you haven't established the proper basis to deal with it. But if one establishes that proper basis, then you know, bright karma in the present moment. Reflecting on good deeds. Right now, nobody wants to harm me. Nobody is harming me. We want to harm me, but nobody is harming me. Uh, Right now, I don't want to harm anybody. That sense of oh, you know, there's room here, isn't there? It's safe here. Uh, there is a teaching. There is the results of good deeds. I am one who can who can understand that and is interested in that. So you, you build it up, you generate it, and then the sense of being able to be with yourself is enhanced, and that mindfulness and full comprehension is there. Then we're able to actually review the. the you know, something that's in the in the mind, a doubt or worry or concern, because we've got the proper capacity to do that. And essentially, it's you get the sense of mindfulness and full comprehension, establishing a place that's both clear, which is mindful, and spacious, which is full comprehension. There's these two qualities to it, and and the overall tone of all that is it's it's bright. So. Like you can almost the chitta feels open and bright, and then you can sense it contract when something 
negative or hurtful or dark karma comes into it. And the process of, of clearing one's dark residues is to be able to, almost like you're putting you know, a piece of dirty laundry into a, into a lake. So you take that dark and you just put it into the clean water and keep washing it until the, the dirt comes out. So you take that and you keep feeling it, sensing it, you know, letting go of, of the senses that come up, the feelings that come up, uh, and keeping that lake flowing. So the ability to just come back to the, to the simple ways in which we establish mindfulness, such as around the body, or around the Buddha, around the metta, get that there, and keep cleaning the, the heart of the, of the dark residues. The fearfulness, or the hurtfulness, or the worry, whatever it is. So, you know, this is a cleansing, a healing process. So, whenever we are able to clear clear some of the, the residues, dark residues, there is an increasing sense of lightness, brightness. It's rather like, uh, you know. Uh, having a, a something that's all clogged up or furred up with scale or, or slime or uh, something like that and you begin to clear it. You have a living system such as, you know, some people go on these colon cleaning uh, fast and things like that you actually kind of clean out your guts. And um, well, you begin to feel much more bright because all the, all the accumulated residues in your, in your intestines Gradually, kind of close close down the the energies and the sensitivities there. So it's rather like that. You're cleaning out a living system, so it becomes more sensitive, more bright. Feels good. And over time, as one cultivates, there's this increasing, well, I call it a sphere or ground of well-being, of brightness that you can abide in. Right in the heart of that, of course, are the enlightenment factors. Mindfulness, which is coupled with comprehension and investigation, dhamma vijaya, and energy, and rapture. These are, the, in a way, the, the qualities of this ground of brightness that begins to be more uh, discerned in the heart. Some enlightenment factors, rapture, tranquility, um, samadhi, and equanimity. These are all aspects of this this uh, basic ground of the chitta, the ground of Dhamma in the chitta, the, the healthy quality of the chitta is like this. It's able to investigate and handle material. It's able to feel bright and uplifted. It has the energetic resources. It can, train, it can be calm, calm itself. It can be equanimous. It can gather itself together. It's fully flexed. Um, and we might say all of these, these seven, are one way of defining what wisdom and compassion is. Wisdom is both the ability just to rest in that and to know that, so we can, which is, you know, to really know that that ground of, of brightness, the ground of being, um, Buddha ground in a way. And we know we can understand that as this, 
not as uh, an entity, not as myself, but as just as a as a, a beautiful place, I can, something that's arisen through skillful cultivation. This is wisdom. And compassion is that whatever afflictive experience comes up for myself or others, I'm prepared to place that on that ground in order to heal it. There's compassion for what happens internally, so whatever afflictions, negative states, dark states, still residues that are there, I am willing to place that or bring my full comprehension uh, around that to bear with it, to be with that, to feel for it so it's like you're able to digest all this stuff so what happens externally I can bring that and allow myself to really open and sense that so compassion is the active aspect of enlightenment and wisdom is the, the the stasis of it these are you know these are kind of getting a bit high-minded, you know, the loop up there. But really, you know, this is this is what we are building up through every good or bright deed that we do. Um, so any any bright deed that is done, as long as it's coupled with mindfulness, is going to is going to increase that potential. So it's not that this bright ground arises spontaneously. It's not the unconditioned. It is dependent upon, or upon enters it, dependent upon conditions. Conditions of good calm and the conditions of valuing and being mindful and attending to that, to the results of our lives and to the aspirations of our lives and really dwelling in them. It's called, uh, it's called merit, punya. And it's always recognised that in in, in, in the Buddhist teaching, how these the, the emotive nuances that go along with any any skillful deeds amplify it. So, for example, it, it is said that you know, if one has this an act of generosity, that's very good. If you do an act of generosity that's coupled with respect, then that magnifies it. So, and then there's any you know you can look at these things. Even if you're doing good towards um, you know someone you respect very highly, then this is even greater or someone who is a great uh, a Buddha, or, or even higher than the Buddha, is the entire Sangha. So this is kind of ascending order of, of merit. And we can think this sounds a little bit strange, like some you know, spiritual uh, mathematics of some kind. But when you consider it, what it, it feels like, you know, you really are recognising what these, what Buddha means to one, to oneself you know, so that if we if we connect to and uh, do things that are respectful towards a Buddha all the meaning that, that that very word carries for us if we really understand what it means means that the heart is actually made very bright yeah. just because of the power of of perception and meaning. Mm. 
we might so it's internally and externally if we do something that's supportive to a Buddha or to an entire Sangha and we then by supporting them their ability they have vast ability to support others so we generate good karma that way but the very, so the very quality but the very, in the heart the very quality of respect you know always heightens the significance of something doesn't it you know how you do something oh well here you are and you just consider what happens in the mind when you, when you do that you say oh here you are here's what you need here's a bag of peanuts or whatever to you that's very nice but there's a sense of really bringing that person to mind and then putting a full quality of what respect means which is which is not just a kind of subjugation experience but a real sense of honouring and wanting to impart and feeling the goodness there's so much richer meaning in that that the, the quality of brightness is deepened and extended so I, I remember a few years ago when I was looking after the cat here and he used to this old cat we had and I was his attendant and I used to mix up his food and put the food down for the cat there was a kind of place in the scullery which is not a very elegant dining area and he'd kind of sit and wolf his food under the, under the washing machine or whatever it is and people sort of walking over him when he's doing it he's just got his head in there chomping away well you know looking after the cat nice thing to do but I do this every day and you get a bit mechanical in it you know, slop it, the food into a bowl mash it up stick it down on the floor any old way this is alright it's not very respectful is it so well, I used to make up a tray with a bunch of little bars of flowers on the tray so it was all nice and clean and the tray was pristine the bowl I'd wash the bowl properly and I'd put the food in respectfully and I'd put a little vase of flowers on it and I'd offer this to the cat the cat just stuck his head in walked away <laughs> That's his business, what cats are like. But I could sense the quality in my own heart was, oh, this is, a, this is a, a minute, the more merit here. Because actually at that moment, there was a greater sense of love, respect, and full attention to what I was doing. So the sense of, of um, you know, the, um, the meritorious or the, 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 the fuller reach of a good action, that I could sense it in myself, was far greater by just doing things that in some ways are functionally superfluous but they provide keys and meanings to things whereby we're more fully present and more fully attending and we're more sensitive and drinking in and caring and concerned. And all those mental nuances are subtle volitional and perceptual qualities that amplify the sense of brightness. So then we can find, you know, doing small things like offering one stick of incense to a Buddha has a very powerful karmic effect. We can look at it and well, stick, incense, metal image. What's this for? You know, donk. What's the point of this? You know? But you know, what's, what's the mind done? You know, how, how kind of narrow and, and stultified has the mind been in that moment? You know, <coughs> couldn't it just sense of, I am making an offering to a completely enlightened being? You know, sense of, what does that mean? Ah, that's a bit bigger, isn't it? So, this karma is, is a... Is a you know, a large area. But when we, so, when we consider it in terms of the immediate effect of, of brightening, it gives us a great sense of ability and possibility. Because we may think, you know, we've got to do something massive and important, or you know, build a hospital, or 
something hugely significant in the world, which is certainly is bright karma. But perhaps we don't have the resources or the capacity to do that. But if we can amplify whatever we do with a quality of reverence, respect, love, devotion, then um, the effects are as powerful, intimately, internally. As you know, you can get these kind of philanthropists who earn you know, $5 billion a day and they say, well, okay, $11 million to some university just writing them. You know. This sounds very good, doesn't it? But you just wonder how, you know, what the results are in their own mind if they haven't actually trained in mindfulness and clear comprehension and full sensitivity. Uh, and yet, you know, one sort of poor person offering one stick of incense to a Buddha with a full loving heart you know, can I as well they have made a lot of <laughs> good karma bright karma and in the sense of the heart it makes complete sense whereas in the thinking mind you think oh it's nothing much but in the heart sense is where the karma really most powerful karma results and the most powerful karma is accrued so we never have a we never have a, we can't you know, we always have an opportunity to do that to bring that around in our lives. So, to finish the talk, say that, so just the, um, in a way I'd like to dedicate this to talk to, to Ajahn Nanti, who will be leaving us in a few days, and a sense of um, respect and deep appreciation for his work, and uh, uh, you know, acknowledging the enormous good karma there in, 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 that, in that gift and something that we hope will stay with us for many years and be an inspiring image for our practice. Um,